You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 175, Marcus Watson and How Suffering Transforms. Welcome to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm your host, Eric Nevins. Thank you so much for being here. As always, I am delighted that you have taken the time to download, plug us into your earbuds and listen. So uh, today I'm excited to bring you our guest. He is the pastor or he is a pastor and the host of Spiritual Life and Leadership Podcast, which I've had the privilege of being on. Uh, we have Marcus Watson. Marcus, welcome to Halfway There. Hey, Eric. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I am excited to get to connect with you again. Yeah, me too. I'm excited to be here. Thanks. Yeah, last time we talked, you were drilling me with questions, so it's my turn. Yeah. <laughs> Good. I'm, just, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> so I've given the smallest, the briefest of all introductions, but just so tell us just a little bit about who you are and kind of where God has you right now. Yeah, so I'm a pastor. I'm an interim pastor at uh, a little church called Westmoreland Community Presbyterian Church uh, in a tiny little community about two hours east of San Diego. And um, I've been there for about a year. Uh, I've been a pastor for 15 years um, and, you know, youth pastor and that kind of stuff before that while I was in seminary and all that. But so uh, doing ministry 20, 25 years. And um yeah, and I uh, I love it, and I've got this podcast that you mentioned, Spiritual Life and Leadership, which uh, I really love doing. Um, I, I like to talk about the inner life and the outer life, like how does how do we not just lead out of uh, you know great leadership practices, which are good, but also out of uh, an inner life that's been formed by our um, relationship with God. Um, so. Yeah, oh, yeah. That, that's kind of my my passion. <laughs> well, right, because that matters so much, right? Especially yes. for leaders in in today's world, uh, it's easy to, I guess, kind of push a ball uphill until other people start pushing it too, right? Yeah, it's a different right. thing if that comes from something that that you're actually experiencing with the Lord. Yes, right, and uh, and and it took me a while to figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, I, the story that I'll be sharing with you today played a big part in, in me, um, in my understanding of leadership and, um, the importance of my, my own inner life, uh, union with Jesus, you know, um, and it changed, it changed the way I measure success. You know, I used to try to grow my church and make it a big church or get into a big church or something like that. Now I'm in the smallest church I've ever been in, you know, 30 or 40 people on a Sunday, all retired farmers, which is fantastic. I'm learning all (laughs) kinds of new things, you know, and, uh, your garden is amazing. Uh, yeah, it's, (laughs) (laughs) it's awesome. So anyway, um, yeah, so it's all I care about now. And look, it's not like I never, it's not like my ego doesn't ever creep up, you know, but, but but I'm far more concerned these days about just being where God wants me to be and going where he leads me and doing what he wants me to do rather than how do I look, you know, yeah. <laughs> how do I, how am I, how do people perceive me? Am I, do, am I, am I impressing people? You know, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, that, that is the kind of story that we like to tell and I'm sure that it's going to be quite interesting. So I can't wait to hear yeah. all about it. All right. So, Start us off. So are you from California? So I'm from, uh, originally from Los Angeles. Um, I was born there, uh, but I've lived a few other places. Uh, When I was five, my family and I moved to Germany for about three years, Uh, came back to L.A. Were were you a military kid or why did you go to Germany? uh, So so my dad's a pastor, actually. Ah, okay. And and I I like to say I didn't become a pastor because he's a pastor. Um, That was never my plan because I've seen the hard things he's gone through, but it's where God called me, you know, and so there's a whole journey there in terms of that. But uh, so there was this like um, uh, pastor exchange program, so to speak. So some German pastors come to the U.S., American pastors go to Germany. And so he was there in a a Lutheran church, actually, because they're mostly Lutheran um, for about three years. Yeah, so I went to first and second grade in Germany. Um, 
came back to, to LA. Um, and then in sixth grade, uh, moved to Pennsylvania, about an hour North of Pittsburgh, a town called Grove city and, um, lived there. Uh, well was there till I graduated from college and then the whole family moved back to LA. My dad got a position back in LA. I followed, followed the family and then was there for, uh, 10 years until, my wife and I uh, got married. My wife and I, I got ordained as a pastor, took a position in Union, Kentucky, uh, just south of Cincinnati. So oh, we were wow. there for about three years. And then from there to San Diego. There you go. There are all my journeys. Okay. So there's, <laughs> so that's where you've lived. Right. So as a yeah. kid, growing up as a pastor's kid, yeah. is it true what they say about pastor's kids? Well, some of them. <laughs> some of them. Nice. That was a very say, diplomatic answer. All right. Was it true of you? You know, I was I was a good kid. I was a judgmental Christian kid. Actually, nice. I listened to Petra and Whiteheart and DeGarmo and Key. Excellent. Yeah. Hey, and what, my, my favorite. What? Go ahead. Well, I've had John Schlitt on the show. Did Are you, you know that? Yes. Oh my god. Yeah, I got to go back and find that episode. It was so awesome. His story, man. Huh. How do you get kicked out of a secular rock band for doing too much cocaine? That's a lot of cocaine. <laughs> but he's got a great story. So yeah, you should listen to that. Amazing. That's amazing. Because <laughs> I was that kid too. I, not a pastor's kid, but I, I was listening to all the Christian music. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know what? My, one of my favorite new Facebook groups is 80s Christian Music Days, D-A-Z-E. And uh, it's just That's, all these 80s mu- Christian music fans. And oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, these are my people. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, so I, I interrupted you, but I, so you were talking oh. about how you were... Uh, you were, you're the judgmental pastor's kid. That's oh, what I remember well, you saying. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. So, <laughs> so for instance, when we would go on a mission trip or camp or whatever, and uh, we'd be playing secular music in the church van, I would grumble under my breath about how this is a place where we should be listening to Petra and Whiteheart, and right, right. <laughs> you know, let's let's impose the Christian music on all the you know marginally Christian kids here in the youth group. <laughs> right, right. So, and anyway. they were listening to like U2 or something. And you're like, U2. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or Belle Biv DeVoe or I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh. Never, um, never got anyway, that. Anyway, right. it was, so college is where I, I feel like I got, I loosened up and I loosened okay. up in the right way. You know what I mean? I, yeah. Yeah. I, well, I yeah. so as a kid, then I mean, it sounds like you probably just had like a relationship with Christ was just sort of in, in the ethos, right? It was yeah. just kind of, yeah. 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 So like, um, you know, my, my parents are great parents. Um, they, they, they weren't pushy, uh, with faith. Um, but they, they raised me with faith, you know, read me all the Bible stories and we prayed every, every night, every day, you know? And, um, uh, and so, you know, I did, I I never really felt like I had anything to rebel against. Right. Mm. And so I just sort of adopted it, embraced it. Um, I, uh, you know, my mom tells me that when I was three years old, three or four years old, uh, you know, during bedtime prayers, I prayed and said, Jesus, I really, really, really want to be your child, you know? And so yeah, she's, I think that's when you became a Christian. <laughs> and then there you go. when I was 12, uh, we went to a Billy Graham crusade and, you know, I felt like, well, uh, I want to make this decision at an age when I can remember it. And so I went forward at the Billy Graham crusade. And um, so, you know, I don't think I became a Christian there, but it was sort of a milestone, you know, where I sort of yeah, volitionally embraced that faith, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, that's one of the questions I often ask is when did this start to become your own? So, yeah. you know, I think yeah. I can hear that in, in the story of being a Billy Graham and going, yeah, I actually want this and making a choice. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, and then you got into Christian music. We know that. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then, uh, so the college, so the, how did that start to, uh, to kind yeah. of become your own or like solidify or. Yeah. Maybe? So, so I got involved in campus crusade for Christ in college mm-hmm. and, um, that was, um, you know, just a, an, a great experience, um, made really great Christian friends, um, in a way that I hadn't had before. Um, and, um, you know, uh, became a, a leader uh, over, you know, so I, I actually got involved my sophomore year. By the time I was a, a senior, um, you know, they had made me the student president of the group. And and we didn't have uh, staff at our at our campus. Um, I was at Slippery Rock University, which is a real school. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds fake. It sounds like you printed yeah. that off the internet, but okay. Right. 
Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, so, you know, so we were all student led. And so it was sort of the place where I learned how to lead a Bible study. It was uh-huh. how I, where I learned how to share my faith um, in ways that I don't, wouldn't really do the, today anymore necessarily, but it, it was, uh, it definitely helped me to grow in, in my ability to talk about Jesus, you know, and, um, and, uh, and then just learning eventually how to lead um, the whole group um, was just a great experience. It's not, I, I, I swore after my senior year that I would never do Christian ministry again because, or Christian leadership again, because it was too, too hard. Um, but that didn't, didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't take. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. So what was that, what was that season like for you? You were, you were kind of discipling. Sounds like you were growing in your, Oh yeah. Sort of, Cause we talked I mean, about, was... sorry, we talked about, uh, the critical journey. Mm, yeah, yeah. Right. So that was, seems like a, a season when you were kind of going deeper, learning, learning all the things, yeah. tr- trying the things, kind of doing those things. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, we talked about that when you were on my podcast, right? We did because uh, it's it's my favorite, the critical. Yeah. Journey. So yeah, so that was the season when I was, you know, growing. I was learning. I was memorizing scripture. I was studying scripture. I learned to spend intentional time with God. Um, uh, you know, on a every day or close to every day sort of basis. And um, yeah. And so uh, that's where, that's where God, where Jesus became really real to me, you mm-hmm. know, and I, and, and I, and I would say it shifted the trajectory of my life. Um, even though I, I didn't know that it was shifting the trajectory of my life because I wanted to, what I wanted was to make it big in Hollywood. <laughs> that's actually oh, what I wanted to Yeah. Yeah. Wait, so tell us about that because you haven't yeah. said anything about that yet. So what? I know. So all my life I had wanted to be, well, when I was a kid, like little, um, I wanted to be a movie star. Um, and then I got a little bit older, like in high school, and I was like, no, I want to be a director. And so that's where all the power is. That, yeah, totally. You can make the decisions. <laughs> um, so, uh, so after college, I got um, an internship in Hollywood. I, I worked for a production company as a, as a production assistant, which is bottom of the totem pole. Um, but, uh, but it was great. I got to work on a couple of TV specials. I got to work on a Muppets music video, which was super fun. And, um, that is fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, you, so, uh, you know, Kermit? Yes. Can I mean, you, I mean, can you, but... can you introduce me? Like, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. But I met, but I met, uh, the guy who does, uh, Gonzo, uh, in the lunch line. <laughs> oh, wow. Briefly. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Oz was there. So it was Dave Goltz who does Gonzo, although he was actually doing the puppeteering from Kermit that day because they were lip syncing. Oh, cool. Um, and, uh, and then Frank Oz was there doing Miss Piggy. Holy uh, cow. It was fantastic. And then in between takes, or in between like the music video part, uh, they were doing like a little promo thing where they were sitting on the floor uh, with the puppets up in the air, you know, and, and uh, everyone, you know, the whole crew was just watching because it's just like mesmerizing. And it was so cool <laughs> to watch them do this. And here it was Miss Piggy and Gonzo because they were doing the voices, right? Yeah. And, um, and, and what was awesome was between takes, like... Frank Oz and Dave Goltz wouldn't talk to each other. Miss Piggy and Gonzo would talk to each other. Like, oh, maybe next time you should do it this way. You know, try saying this next time. Yeah, blah, blah. You know, that's awesome. <laughs> it was really, really cool. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so that was a fun experience. I did that for a couple of years. Um, but what I discovered was that if I was going to succeed in Hollywood, then that was going to have to be my number one priority in life. Um, mm. And I was involved in my church and the college career group. Uh, I was in the worship band at my church. I was going to a um, uh, to a twenty something group as well at uh, Bel Air Presbyterian Church. Anyway, um, uh, and and so I wanted to keep being involved in my church, and uh, yeah, and I just realized that like I, I'm not going to be successful in Hollywood mm. uh, if I if I'm distracted by God. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. There's sort of an invitation from the industry, right? To go, yeah. uh, give us everything. Like, just come, yeah. come, come in, but you got to yeah. give your all. Right. And that includes Sunday. That includes whenever, because yeah. they, those people Over work. Time. The problem was like the, the thing that like was the straw that broke the camel's back for me was, um, I was doing, uh, I was working at a, 
a company that did movie trailers for about a month or so. It was a temp job. So I got it through a temp agency. And a lot of jobs in Hollywood are temporary. Right. right. But it had the potential of going permanent. And uh, they decided not to keep me on permanently. And I asked, you know, I, just for feedback, I said, you know, what, is there something I could have done? Or, or wh- how come you, you, know, you didn't want to keep me? And they said, well, you could have uh, offered to stay, you know, late. Uh, and meaning for no pay, no extra pay, because they kept telling me, oh, we got to get you out of here because they couldn't pay me more. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe he was just saying that. But I think that is kind of just the mindset. You just give as much time as it takes, whether you're getting paid for it or not, if you want to make it right. Right. It's just like athletes. You got to put in the reps in order to get to the to the level of success. Yeah. And uh, that's sort of expected out there, as I understand yeah. Well, yeah, and uh, but uh, but I I just I couldn't I couldn't do it. Like I was just like that was it was after that that I decided you know what screw it I'm done. Wow. <laughs> I'm done with Hollywood. And uh, did you and feel I, you know, I don't really, well? That? Did you feel like that was a conflict between your faith and your and your profession? Or it was a conflict between my priorities. Um, ah. So so it's not like I was losing my faith or or like I was compromising my faith, but it was a matter of I don't want to not be involved in ministry, just even as a church member, you know, I don't want to give that up because I have to put all my time and energy into Hollywood work, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, so then I was like, well, what am I going to do? I said, I'll do either, you know, one of, one of, one of three things. I'll either, uh, go on staff with Campus Crusade, which, um, you know, what I would have loved, um, or I will uh, get a master's degree in communication from a Christian university, or I'll go to seminary. And uh, the first two, Campus Crusade or master's in communication, I could get into by the following January. This was the summer of 96. Or I could get into Fuller Seminary that fall. And so I was like, ah, what the heck, let's give seminary a shot. If I don't like it, I'll quit and I'll you know, go after these other, one of these other ones. And so I ended up enrolling at Fuller Seminary, got in and uh, started classes that fall. And man, it was awesome. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I remember my first class with John Thompson, patristic theology, right? <laughs> theology of the early church fathers. And I just remember thinking, holy cow, I can't believe I get to learn this stuff. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and uh, um, so, you know, I, I felt like, okay, okay, this is where I was supposed to do, supposed to be. Right. And I also ended up getting a job on campus as the video editor guy. Uh, and so I still got to end up doing what I love doing. Mm. Um, and, uh, so it was just sort of a confirmation that, uh, that that's where God wanted me. I still got to do what I loved. I got to learn what I wanted to learn and kind of set me on this path towards eventually becoming a pastor, even though I, I still wasn't convinced that's where it was going at the time. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you, you start finding, so you go to seminary, you start finding all these things that you get to learn. Yeah. Like, I, I love that you're excited about the church fathers because, Mm. nobody's excited about that church. <laughs> well, yeah. And I'm no expert on that, but it was just like something I had right. never been exposed to. I was like, wow, just the idea that there's yes. so much history here, you know? And the, and I'm not, my faith doesn't just go back to 1950, whatever, when Bill Bright founded Campus Crusade, right. you know? <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. Or at best, you know, whenever Luther nailed his 95 theses right. to the door, yeah, right? Right, right. There, there's right. A, a lot of us evangelicals who grew up that way our historical reference doesn't go back further than 500 years or so. So much, right? Other than to say, oh, those people were so wrong, right? Right, right, right. Uh, It it is interesting. Like, yeah, there was so so much good prior to the Reformation. I just recently heard Richard Rohr say, though, um, you know, the the very needed Reformation, even though he's Catholic, you know? Yeah. The church needed the Reformation, right? So it's kind of refreshing to hear him say that. But we need, so I I think it's great, right? We need to see God at work throughout church history, even if it's not our exact tradition, right? Right. And that's part of what I think is happening today is people are going, hey, you know, that piece from this tradition is really good. And this piece from this tradition feeds my soul and this connects me to God. yeah, those are the those are all okay, as long as we all have Jesus in common. That's okay. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you're. Yeah, it yeah. sounded like your heart came alive in a way that you hadn't discovered before when you yeah. got to seminary. Yeah. Um, uh, it did. Let's see. I'm trying to think of the right way to put it. Did it come alive, or maybe it just sort of expanded? Uh, I got sure. a bigger view of 
you know, or, or you could say it's like I was, uh, I was on the shoulder of the road and I sort of got onto the road. Okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you were like still I, going in the right direction. You just like yeah. sped up a little bit, but now it's like, I'm, I'm in that groove that I was meant for. And I was moving forward in, in that groove. You know That's a I good mean? metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's, that's <laughs> a good one. I just kind of thought up, thought up right now. There we go. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's, that's how it felt. I felt like, okay, I'm, I'm where I'm supposed to be. And, and I, I didn't know where it was going. I didn't know I was going to become a pastor. I didn't think I would. I thought I would um, actually like do some sort of media related ministry or something, still something with film or video or something like that. Um, and, uh, and so the only reason I started the ordination process uh, was because a friend of mine, kind of a mentor, uh, came in and brought me the paperwork. Uh, I was at work in, in our media department. Uh, he's like, here's the paperwork, fill it out. I'll drop it off for you at the presbytery office so you can get this ordination thing started. I'm like, oh, well, okay, I guess I better keep my options open. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And because uh, you still weren't expecting that you were going to be a pastor, you thought. No. And I put preaching off till the very end, uh, even though I love preaching now. It's my favorite thing about being a pastor. Oh, interesting. But I put that off until the very end because I just sort of felt like, you know, that was my dad's thing. Um, and again, I love my dad. He's a great dad, but that was his thing, you know. And for me, I felt like I was denying. It was just a letting go. Like to to embrace preaching meant mm -hmm. that I was still letting go of something that I'd been holding on to, which is this like Hollywood dream or whatever, you know, uh, kind of still letting go of the, the remnants of that. Um, but uh, interesting. Well, okay. So how did that work out for you spiritually? Cause there's a, when you wrestle like that, uh -huh. you know, cause you're wrestling with who you are, right. With who yeah. God was calling you to be. So you, you had this dream that you were holding on to. Yeah. 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 I've been in those places, right. Where it's yeah. kind of uncomfortable and it's very, yeah. A little difficult uh, to well, reconcile. Uh, okay. Well, uh, so um, w one of the things I, I do want to say about letting go of that dream, I will say that it was up until that time, probably one of the most painful seasons of my life or one of the most painful mm. things I'd ever had to do, letting go of that Hollywood dream. Because uh, it, it was something that had been with me all my life. Like as long as I could remember, I wanted to be an actor. I would pray as a kid, dear Lord, please help me to become an actor while I'm still a kid. <laughs> I wanted oh, to be wow. a child actor, you know, we Dude. lived in Pennsylvania in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> so but the story doesn't end well for those people. So I'm glad you did. Yeah, I know. I know. So I'm kind of grateful. <laughs> Most of them are drug addicts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. <laughs> but, uh, but it was still, if I, I had, it was like cutting my arm off, right. Letting go of that dream. Um, and, uh, but, uh, oh, you know, and it took several years while I was at Fuller, um, embracing this call. And uh, for me, the ordination process is normally a two-year process mm -hmm. uh, for in our Presbyterian denomination. Uh, I squeezed it into four years. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and so, you know, I was just sort of dragging my feet. And, and I had a moment um, when, I, so I knew, like I was beginning, I was sensing, okay, I gotta, I gotta commit to finishing this ordination process. I remember being at a, uh, um, Good Friday service at the church that uh, I was at at the time. Uh, my wife and I were there. I was newly married. And um, it was a Good Friday service. And we closed the service. It was very contemplative. We closed the service with a prayer by St. Augustine. And the first words of that prayer were, late have I loved you. And those words just sort of <sighs> penetrated me, right? Just hit me. And I was just like, oh, gosh. Yep, that's me. I've been very slow in loving you, Lord. And so that was kind of the moment when I said, okay, Lord, I'm all in. Uh, I will do everything I need to do to finish getting ordained, you know, this process. Um, and, and if you are saying, uh, Marcus, you're going to be a pastor, then that's what I will do. So, um, so anyway, so I finished the ordination process later that year. And uh, by the following year, I was an associate pastor out in Union, Kentucky. Um, wow. Yep. Yep. So it, was a, it wasn't a lifelong dream to become a pastor. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it was calling. Yeah. Which is so interesting because it, uh, it could have easily been, right? If, to follow your dad's footsteps. For a lot of guys, it is, oh, yeah. right? Like, oh, yeah. Right. 
Yeah. I like to say I, I didn't become a pastor because my dad was a pastor, but in spite of the fact that he was a pastor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. My parents even encouraged me when I was younger. They're like, oh, Marcus, don't become a pastor. It's too hard. <laughs> like, do, okay, no problem. I won't. <laughs> do something where you can make some money. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but you got to sell your soul. Yeah, right. Oh, <laughs> uh, interesting. Okay. So you go out to Kentucky. You're yeah. a pastor reluctantly. How does yeah. that go? Well, so at that point, I wasn't really a reluctant pastor. You, well, you embraced it. Yeah, let me let's say yeah, that. I yeah, I embraced yeah. it. Yeah. Good, good clarification. Um, and and moving to Kentucky was a, another sort of a, a letting go of my desires and embracing God's leading, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, um, uh, you know, my my wife is born and raised in L.A. and L.A. was home for me and. Even when I lived as a kid in Pennsylvania, we I always wanted to go back to L.A. So then, you know, it was really hard to leave L.A. again. Uh, I just like the city. I like being close to the ocean and the mountains and everything, you know. Uh, and our family, of course, is all, all there. And um, and so, but we really felt like we're, God was calling us to this this church. And so uh, we went and uh, we were there for about three and a half years. And it was a good experience. Um, I was the associate pastor and uh uh, and basically the youth pastor, like youth uh, was my responsibility. And um, uh, and then about two years into my time there, our uh, our senior pastor resigned. And so for seven months, I was the only pastor on staff. And so that gave me great experience just as the pastor of the church, essentially preaching every Sunday. That's where I realized, whoa, I think I could do this, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so so that's one of the ways in which I think of, uh, you know, I think God called me there partly for that experience, you know, just to say, look, Marcus, you can do this. Cause I used to think before that, what do I, what would I do as a senior pastor? I don't even know. I, I don't know how yeah. to do that. You know, right. so I got thrust into that position and uh, learned how to do it. So, yeah, so it was good. And we have good experiences, you know, we have good friends from there. Um, uh, and then, you know, after a few years uh, came out to San Diego and uh, have been here uh, ever since. Yeah, We're not in that same church every since. Yeah, yeah, very good. Okay, so all right, so take us through that because I know that you had a you have a story with your church. Yeah, that kind of yeah. So okay, uh, so in, in my uh, the most recent church, the church that I came to when we moved to San Diego. Gotcha. Um, I was there for about eight and a half years, and it was uh, great for most of that time. Um, and then, uh, after about seven and a half years, uh, I took a sabbatical and, um, and about two weeks into that sabbatical, I got a phone call from our executive presbyter. He's the, um, just kind of in charge of the San Diego presbytery. Um, right. I guess we should explain what a presbytery is because I don't, not everybody yeah. comes from a presbytery right, right, background. Right. So basically it's just a regional, uh, you know, uh, what would you call it? Adjudicatory. That's a terrible word. But yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to help people understand, Marcus. I know, I know. It's just uh, there's about 32, 34 churches or so in the San Diego area and Imperial yeah. County, which is the next county east. Um, and we make up the San Diego Presbytery. Right. And so, so rather than being like each individual church having their their um, leaders, the also then the leaders become. Uh, get together in the presbytery to kind yeah. of help oversee the churches. That's it's that's a different right, way of doing right. it. So, so we're all very connected to each other, you know. Um, Which is good. Presbytery meetings four times a year, and uh, committee. I'm on, you know, I'm the chair right now of the committee on preparation for ministry, which is working with those yeah. coming through the ordination process, right? So, so we all work together, elders and uh, pastors, and and the executive presbyter is sort of the pastor to the presbytery, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, he's an administrator, he's a pastor, um, and then there's another position called the stated clerk, and they're sort of the rule keeper, so to yeah. speak. Yeah, so it's just another way of organizing it, but I, I know that yeah. not everybody who listens will, will know that. Yeah, so. yeah. So our executive presbyter called me. I'll call him the EP from now on. It's easier. Okay, the EP. <laughs> he called me and he said, hey, Marcus, uh, uh, I, I, you know, are you going to be in town Tomorrow, he called me on a Friday. He was asking about Saturday. Are you going to be in town? I, I need to get together with you, uh, talk to you about something. I was like, oh, no, I'm going to be out of town. I'm going up to L.A. to visit you know, my brother and some friends. He said, oh, you know, and so 
you know, I was asking him what it was about. He wouldn't tell me. And um, so eventually he's like, can you just cancel your trip to LA? I was like, no, I'm on sabbatical. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. You totally. won't tell me what it's about. So we'll schedule a time uh, some other time. So we eventually just decided to meet on Sunday. Uh, I was coming back, uh, you know, that day. Um, so I uh, met on Sunday and he came to my house. Uh, my wife was there and he said, uh, Marcus, someone has accused you of having a problem with pornography. And, um, you know, so my reaction was, oh, okay. Uh, I said, what do you, what do you need to do? He said, well, we need to do a forensic analysis on your laptop. And, uh, wow. I said, okay. Uh, do you want it right now? <laughs> and he said, that would be good. So, um, right. So here's the thing. So it's not like I've never looked at pornography in my life. Like, yeah. Probably like most men. Um, right. The however, statistics on that. Are the statistics yeah. on that are, yeah, yeah sky yeah. high. I mean, these days, <laughs> side note, I heard recently that uh, someone was telling me, so I don't know the, the sources on this, but that they were trying to do some kind of a study of the difference between men in college campuses who viewed pornography and those who did not. And they couldn't do the experience uh, experiment because they couldn't find any men who didn't view pornography. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. Is that crazy? But uh, it's just so so easy and accessible, right? It is. So, so in order, so for me personally, it's like, well, I need to do something about this accessibility. So, you know, years ago, I set up uh, accountability software on my uh, laptop, on my phone, on my iPad, on everything, and um, uh, you know, have an accountability partner, several accountability partners, and. Um, so anyway, so I wasn't worried about it. Uh, I, I handed it to him and, and I did say, I said, hey, you know, if, you, if there is anything there, it's from a really long time ago. You know, like if something got saved in some cash or whatever, I don't yeah. know. Um, so anyway, so he said it would take about two or three days, uh, ended up taking about three weeks. And that was really frustrating. It's a long three weeks. Yeah, yeah. P- frustrating, partly because I wanted to just have my laptop to do stuff on, you know, and um, and then frustrating because I had no idea what was happening. Um, and uh, then after three weeks, he called me and he said, well, Marcus, uh, the analysis is complete, but I can't give you your laptop back because it's now a potential criminal investigation. And I have to give your laptop to the authorities. Whoa. Yeah. And I was like, what? What? You know, I said, said what, what are you talking about? Um, and I could not fathom. I could not imagine what could have possibly triggered that, right? And of course, I thought, I mean, I know I'd never looked at child pornography, but that's, you know, I know the accusation was pornography, so right. is something there that looks like that or seems like that, or I don't know. Another thought I had was, did somebody, so our tech guy at church had become kind of a, nemesis is a strong word, but not a fan of mine. <laughs> and so he <laughs> okay. would, if there was a tech issue with my computer, he would work on it. So but one of my thoughts was, did he plant something on my computer? Yeah. You so, know? so you're trying to make sense of this. You're like, your brain is right. going, okay, yeah. all the things, like, I, how do I, I, I bring those thinking, in? You know, are there, you know, bomb making instructions that they found and now they have to send it to, you know, is it, maybe there's something totally unrelated to, to the accusations, you know, that they found. Right. So anyway, so I was just in this awful, terrible, dark place, uh, and scared, just really scared. Um, cause I, I just didn't know what was happening. I didn't know what would happen. Um, now I had, uh, some great support from a friend of mine who's also a pastor. He's my accountability partner. Um, and, um, he really went to bat for me, um, in ways that I couldn't during, during that time. Um, well, one of the things that they were doing essentially was this person who made the accusation didn't want to file formal allegations with the presbytery. And so because there were no formal allegations, mm-hmm. really, it should have just been a personal pastoral response to the issue without an investigation. But for whatever reason, uh, the EP decided, oh, we need to take this in our own hands. And so it was like a secret off the record investigation. Um, which, is, which does not protect you, I'm guessing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I had no protection. And that's what that was part of the fear. Because um, I, again, I had no idea. It, it wouldn't have gone to, well, I, I don't know what would have happened if they had actually found child pornography or something. But um, uh, like, e- even if it had been a, um, 
an official investigation. Um, but uh, yeah, but I had no protection. And so anyway, so my, my friend uh, Kevin and another pastor from the Presbytery met with the EP and they said, hey, 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 let's, you know, let's start this over. Let's, let's do it the right way. And he just sort of dug his heels in and said, no, we got to, you know, this is the way I'm going to do it, you know. And wow. So, um, so I, I met with an attorney actually because I had no, I felt like I had no protection. Met with an attorney, didn't know uh, she was recommended to me. Didn't know until I started talking with her that she actually had experience with child pornography cases. Oh no! Yeah, and so, so uh, she was kind of giving me all these worst case scenarios of what would happen. She said, "I'm not going to represent represent you if you're guilty, um, or you know, if I, I suspect you're guilty." Um, uh, so, you know, that was good integrity there, I guess. Um, but she said, um, she gave me all these worst case scenarios, you know, about how they're going to knock on your door at five in the morning if they, you know, and, uh, anyway, and after about an hour, my wife and I were both talking with her after about an hour. Um, this was a moment of grace. She said to me, well, I can tell you're not guilty. I was like, oh, how can you tell? She said, well, you're not asking the right questions. If you were guilty, you'd be asking questions like, you know, how much time am I looking at? Uh, what's our defense <laughs> going to be? And all you're asking about is when you can get your laptop back. <laughs> right. Wow. And I was like, oh, thank you. Wow. And it was so, um, it just like it lifted a burden from me to feel like somebody can see through all the junk, you know, through all of this and, and can see the truth here. So that was a gift to me. Uh, and, and, uh, relieved some of my anxiety, you know, and she was fantastic. She actually, I was so grateful. She never charged me. She said, if I ever have to like come and sit with you, like in a, you know, interrogation room or something, you know, yeah. then, then you can pay me. But right now I just, I'm happy to write some emails and get you some justice. And so she was really helpful. Um, uh, now it didn't take all the problems away. And, uh, I still was wrestling with, with fear, you know, because I, I still didn't really know what was happening. Yeah. How was uh, your, what was your thing with God that, during that time? Like, cause were yeah. you, were you praying? Were you angry? Oh were you, what was that like? Well, so a little bit of both. So yeah. yeah, there was a part of me that was like, Lord, why are you letting this happen to me? Like I didn't do anything and I don't deserve this. Um, I'm sure there are people in the world who do deserve this. And why am I the one who's getting it? Um, and, uh, but, but I spent a lot of time uh, just in silence and solitude. Um, I had, even before any of this happened, I had kind of set aside some books to read while on sabbatical books like life of the beloved by Henry Nowen, mm. uh, surrender to love by David Benner, um, Abba's child by Brennan Manning and uh, emotionally healthy spirituality by um, uh, Pete Scazzaro. Nice. Um, and, uh, yeah, so these books were very helpful to me, um, as I was going through this, I had a moment where I was, uh, sitting on the patio, um, uh, just having spent some time silence and prayer and scripture and reading. And, um, and of course, everything I'm thinking about, everything I read is colored by what I'm going through. Um, like it's going through that filter and, yeah. Um, and so I had a moment where I was just sort of sitting there and I started thinking through everything that could possibly happen. Uh, right. And I thought, man, I might, I might lose my job. And, um, and I thought I could lose my ordination and, uh, I could lose my reputation. Like I might become that pastor, you know, Oh, you know what happened with Marcus, you know? Um, and I was like, man, I could lose my family. Um, if it looks like, I'm guilty. And I don't actually think I would have lost my family, but in those moments, right, you're thinking, I mean, those are the thoughts that you start to totally. have. Um, and then I thought, holy cow, I could become a registered sex offender for the rest of my life. Wow. Yeah. And I thought, I, I'm, yeah, I mean, anywhere I go, I would have to report this um, and, and always be perceived as some kind of a, you know, pervert or something. And, uh, and then I thought I could go to prison. Um, and so I had this moment where I just, I had this image of myself sitting in a prison cell, having lost everything, right? My job, my home, my family, my reputation. Um, and then it's like, I, I heard God say, but you will never lose my love for you. Right. That's mm -hmm. the one thing that you can never, ever lose. And, um, so in that moment, um, it's like, you know, I, 
I've always believed that God loves me unconditionally, but in that moment, it's like I understood it in a whole new way. I was like, oh, now I understand. And I'm so grateful that I didn't actually have to lose all of those things, but it, it felt like, you know, it's like I had the feeling of losing those things. And so it just, it just made God's love so, so much more real. Um, and, and the other thing that was kind of along those same lines, um, it really, this whole experience really messed with my uh, sense of self-worth. Because um, mm. one, one of the questions, like I wasn't getting due process. We have a process for accusations like this. And I was oh, like, how yeah. come how come they're treating me like this? How come I'm the one who gets this secret investigation? Um, and because they wouldn't do it to so-and-so and so-and-so from that church with, you know, a thousand people or, you know, they wouldn't do it to the big church pastors, but they'll do it to me from, you know, my little church. That's kind of how I felt. And so. That's um, really interesting. That's a, that's an interesting side effect, right? That you wouldn't have thought of. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah. Now, because I was feeling that way, on the other hand, uh, there was my friend Kevin who was really going to bat for me. And I remember he would, you know, he'd text me, you know, every day or so and uh, say, how are you doing today? You know, and he'd um, take me out for drinks now and then or something, you know, and just kind of just stay in touch with me. And uh, I remember driving home from uh, having gone out with him one night and I just thought to myself and, I, you know, I was talking to God and I'm like, man, Lord, he doesn't have to do this for me. You know, he's taking time out of his schedule. He's keeping me in mind, you know, and, uh, he doesn't have to do that. And it just sort of revealed to me this, uh, sense that I've, I guess I've carried with me for a long time that I don't deserve to be loved. Um, you know, I've had friends, but, uh, I've also had friends, you know, kind of turn their backs on me, uh, you know, like in high school, very formative years, you know? And so, so the fact that he was sticking with me really, uh, it, it was like a representation of God's love for me. And so I had this moment, I was, um, I, I'm not a good surfer, but I was out surfing that day and not catching any waves, but I was sitting in, <laughs> on my board <laughs> and uh, I just, I just kind of was repeating to myself, um, um, I deserve uh, to be loved. Um, and I had to just, re- now, uh, you, you know, and I deserve not, first of all, Lord, I deserve your love is what I said. Lord, I deserve your love. I deserve your love. Not in the sense that I've earned it, but I'm worthy of it, right? Right. As a child of God, created in the image of God. And then I had to expand it. I realized, wait, but it's more than that. I deserve to be loved, just in general, by people um, too. Like, I deserve to be loved. I deserve to be loved. And so I had to repeat that over and over. And um, so it, it revealed in me sort of this brokenness in terms of my sense of, yeah, my sense of self-worth, my sense of worthiness. Do I deserve to be loved? And, it, and really what it did is it, it showed me that I do, like, I do deserve to be loved because I'm a human being, you know, and uh, every human being deserves to be loved. Um, mm. Yeah. So uh, that's, I guess that's kind of what it did for me in terms of uh, spiritually. It also, well, that yeah, we can get into this further along, <laughs> but it, it changed the way I think about ministry too, because all of a sudden I'm like, it felt like nothing I had done mattered. Like as, as a wow. pastor, it's like, what was all that? Uh, what was all that for? Like, yeah. Okay. All, Define yeah. that for me because, so what were you doing before? Yeah. And what, what did you look at and go, Oh, that's useless or what, you know, whatever you, however you thought of it. So, <laughs> I, uh, so preaching, of course, which I, so these are all good things, preaching, right? Uh, small groups, um, Sunday school, um, uh, you know, ushering, um, serving out in the community, doing a, a cleanup projects in, in town. These are all good things, but I just felt like, I mean, did they, was anyone in any way even transformed by any of those things that we did? Um, and, and, uh, you know, I felt like a very unsuccessful pastor mm-hmm. <laughs> as I was going through this. Um, and so after that, you know, prior to that, I was all about, I got to get this church to grow. And it was, you know what, it was, I want people to come to faith, of course, but it was really, a lot of it was about me. It was about my ego and, and me looking good. People saying, wow, Marcus is a great pastor because look at how he got that church to grow, you know? Yeah. 
And after this, I'm like, I don't give a rip about how big my church is. I just want to, I just want to love people. And that, you know, that's one of the things that I, that I learned um, or that became really meaningful to me during this time. Uh, I was reading uh, Henry Nouwen's Life of the Beloved. And one of the things he says in there is um, something I'm paraphrasing, but something like once you discover yourself to be God's beloved, it's like all you want is for everyone else to know that they too are God's beloved. And so in a way that's, that's become my, uh, my driving mission, so to speak, is that I just want people to know that they're God's beloved, right? Um, wow. Everyone. And so, 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 you know, sometimes people stress out when we have low attendance in church and I'm like, I don't care. The people that were meant to be here were here today and they received the good news of God's love for them, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and whoever wasn't here, then hopefully they received it somewhere else, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't stress about numbers the way I used to. And that's very freeing. That's, that's really freeing. Uh, I love not stressing about that anymore. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I should, uh, I should finish. Just, you want yeah. Me to wrap, finish? wrap that up. Yeah. Tell, yeah. tell us, uh, tell us what happened. So, um, near the end of my sabbatical, I got a text or an, an email, a uh, text or an email from our EP. And he said, Hey, Marcus, I have your laptop. And what I had found out by then, my attorney actually found this out was that it was the FBI that had my laptop. And I was just like, floored. Oh, yeah. I was like, Holy cow. Never in a million years would I have ever imagined that I would ever be investigated by the FBI. Right. Um, but, uh, but uh, anyway, but, oh, oh, and I should also add that about a week before uh, he had texted me that he had my laptop. I had asked him, Hey, I, I'm going back to work soon. I need, you know, at least some of my work documents. Can I get those? And he said, yeah, I think I can. So we met up and he gave them to me on a flash drive. And, um, he said, uh, Hey, just off the record, want to let you know, they've said they haven't really found anything. And, uh, you know, my reaction was just, uh, kind of like, Oh, okay, thanks. You know? And I thought about it later. I'm like, how come I didn't like say, Oh man, that's such good news, you know? And I think it's just because I thought, of course, they didn't find anything, right? right? I knew they wouldn't find anything. I mean, unless something had been planned or something, but of, the, of course they didn't find anything. So anyway, so, so then um, he says, I've got your laptop. When do you want to, you know, want to come pick it up? And I said, I'll be there this afternoon. Uh, then my friend Kevin said, hey, uh, Marcus, why don't you ask your attorney if you should ask him anything or, or you know, when you pick it up? So I emailed her and she said, hey, hey you should not be in contact with him actually, because uh, this is, as far as we know, an open investigation. You know, we need to get confirmation from the FBI that this has been closed. So I emailed him back uh, that uh, response and, and then he emailed me back and just four words, he said, Marcus, what investigation? And then signed off with his name. Yeah. What? Yeah. And uh, I was so angry right it's like um it's like he pretended like nothing had even happened and maybe he was protecting himself because it was all off the off the books you know and he had totally exceeded his authority um by doing this and so anyway he had already announced his resignation from the presbytery i think unrelated to, to any of this but who knows he was probably glad to get himself out from under this situation and so so i actually i didn't respond to that because i knew if i did it would not be pretty <laughs> <laughs> and i was just like i'm never talking to this guy again oh my and gosh he wow. can go you know he was he was going to be leaving the following week i think so anyway um so I didn't get my laptop back for a few more weeks. And then finally, my uh, attorney gave me the green light. She said, you can go get your laptop now. So after I did, I met with the stated clerk of the presbytery who was aware of this uh, thing that was going on and this investigation. I, I said, hey, I just want to know, what's the status on this investigation? Like, is it over? What's going on? She said, it's over. It's done. Nothing else you know, to do with it. Um, so I was like, thank you. you know. And so I, I went home and I thought, you know, thank you, Lord. It's done. It's over. Little, literally two days after that, I was hand delivered a uh, an envelope from the presbytery stating that now formal allegations had been filed against me. Wow! This time, including a charge of child pornography, and uh, and I was just like, oh my gosh, Lord, why? What is 
you know, I thought this was over. And um, so, of course, huge anxiety, especially at first. And then, uh, you know, it was interesting that first day, over the course of the day, my anxiety started to go away because I thought, ah, you know what? God got me through it the first time. He'll get me through it the second time. Yeah. So that was good. Um, And then another kind of sort of a a gift in that process, I had to meet. So the following week with a panel from the presbytery to determine whether or not to put me on administrative leave um, due to the nature of the allegations. Right. And so in that, um, uh, in that meeting, um, they determined essentially that, well, first of all, that they're not going to put me on leave because the only, uh, the reason that these allegations were made was that the person said, well, since it went to the FBI, even though they chose not to pursue an indictment, there must have been something there. Uh, And so, uh, so they saw through that. They're like, well, this person actually has no personal knowledge of any wrongdoing by Marcus. And so, so that was a gift to me, too. I'm like, okay, good. So this person doesn't actually have anything of any substance against me. Right. Um, but it did kick off an investigation. And this time it was an official investigation, which I was actually very grateful for because if exonerated, which I was, it would now be on the record, you know. And um, so that took another three months. So this whole process started in uh, May of, what was that, 2015. So it was a three-month secret investigation and then another three-month formal investigation. Found out eventually um, that it was a staff person at our church. And, um, and then she um, basically made those same accusations again to our board of elders um, in February of uh, 2016, so a few months later. And then our elders... You know, then I was like, oh my gosh, it's just not stopping, right? And so yeah. um, so we had a special meeting to deal with this. The, the new executive presbyter came and he had kind of, uh, you know, he, it, it was put into his hands to, to deal with this. And so he did a good job. Um, my friend Kevin, my accountability partner, came to that meeting and said, hey, look, I've got years worth of accountability reports if you want to see them. <laughs> um, and... Um, so he and I recused ourselves for about half an hour, came back in and had no idea what was going to happen. And, you know, one of the elders speaking for the group said, Marcus, uh, first of all, we want you to know that you have our trust as our pastor. I was like, oh, wow. Thank you. You know, that's better than I was expecting. And they yeah. said, and uh, so, so someone uh, had earlier said, maybe we should ask for Marcus's resignation. So that they said, we're not going to ask for your resignation. And um, we are going to contact our uh, insurance company, you know, in case we need to brace ourselves for a lot from a lawsuit <laughs> from this person. And I was like, wow, thank you. Um, and so that was that was great. Uh, and it would have been great, except that one of the elders, for whatever reason, decided to believe the accusation. And she immediately resigned from uh, the session. That's what we call our board of elders. Um, and uh, started, well, we didn't know this until a few weeks later, but started calling people in the congregation saying, Pastor Marcus has a problem with child pornography. Oh, wow. Yeah. And of course, at that point, well, it's done, right? It's over, There's yeah. Really no no coming back from that. But, and so, like, what, what, well, I'm just thinking about the real lack of integrity yeah. in, in yeah. a person who would do something like that to you. Yeah. I mean, you know what? I, I was like, like the first time, I thought, okay, well, maybe someone has le- some legitimate concerns. I don't know where they came from, but maybe for some reason they're, they think, oh, Marcus, Pastor Marcus has a thing with pornography. Okay, well, now we know that I don't. And then came the second, the second uh, investigation, the second round of allegations, and I, I was like, oh, my gosh, this person is trying to destroy me. Like, they're not satisfied with an yeah. investigation. They, they actually want to ruin me. They want to ruin my my ministry, my, my work, my, my family. Right. And, uh, like I'd never experienced that before that someone just wanted, wanted to get me, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I had a meeting with her with the chair of personnel at one point. Yeah, man, it did not go well. <laughs> she was like, I'm a mandated reporter. I'm a mandated reporter. Wow. It was, it was very angry. Um, so did they not have access to whatever the presbytery did? Oh Yeah. Oh yeah, she got the report that uh, there was nothing found, you know. And but then, she was she had convinced herself apparently wow. that since something 
triggered. And it was, you know what it was? It was a picture of my kids in their underwear, right? So the first analyst said, Uh well, it's not my job to determine whether or not this is child pornography. So I better just pass it off. And then the FBI said, this is not child pornography. Right. (laughs) This is a guy with his kids. Because they know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They can tell the difference, right? Um, But she she was convinced, you know, and and I I don't know. I, I honestly don't know what all was behind it in her um, that drove her to keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. So what ended up happening was, mm-hmm. um, so for, well, before, oh, yeah. before you say that, I want to say yeah. that was very charitable. Like that's, that's very interesting. Cause oh. I don't think I would be as charitable. I think it'd be like, look, I don't know about that yeah. person. And I, you know, hope they die yeah. alone. And some, some well, you know, yes. I mean, it's not like I'm not angry about it and, and I've become, okay. I mean, it's been several years now. I've had time to process. Yeah, um, I do know that, and she told me uh, before any of this happened, I mean, just in our staff meetings, that she had been abused by her father um, and that her husband had had a pornography problem. And um, so, right, so there's more going on there. Yeah, totally. And you know what? You know the saying, hurt people hurt people. Right? Yeah. Um, everybody thinks they're the good guy. <laughs> you know? Right. And so, so... I, you know, I, I I was listening to a podcast by Pete Scazzaro a couple of years ago, and he asked the question, um, are you able to pray for your enemies? And I was like, Ugh, no, <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather not. <laughs> thanks. Yeah, thanks a lot. So I was like, OK, Lord, I'll start praying. Or maybe he said, pray, pray for God to bless your enemies. And uh, I was like, OK. So I started saying, OK, Lord, please bless so and so and bless so and so and bless so and so. Uh, and I didn't mean it. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I still, so I still try to do that. I, I can't say I am, I mean it with all of my heart, but I mean it more than I did before. And yeah. You know what? It, I, and does it even matter? Yeah. Like it does, God, God will do with it what he wants to do with That's it, right. regardless That's of right. what you, you know, I mean, I, yeah. we, we can look at Balaam when he's prophesying against or all these blessings for Israel, right? Yeah. He didn't yeah. mean it, but God yeah. still was going to do it. That's right. Yeah. God's going to do what God's going to do. Yeah. So um, anyway, so, uh, you know, we found out that these rumors are starting to go around. Pastor Marcus is into child pornography. And so we're like, well, we got to do something about it. So we called kind of a um, town hall meeting for the congregation. We had our annual meeting coming up. We scheduled this town hall for the week before. And I tell you what, attendance was fantastic that day. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody showed up for that service and that meeting. Not exactly um, the way you were hoping to yeah. be popular in the yeah man <laughs> in the church. Right, I know. And so, so anyway, so that meeting went well. You know, I kind of shared what was going on. Our executive presbyter was there, the new the new guy, and he said, you know, again, as far as this is concerned, as far as the presbytery is concerned, this is a closed matter. Uh, my friend Kevin came and talked about accountability and all that, and. Um, and the session spoke on my behalf, our elders. And um, and so that meeting ended. That was more just informational and Q&A. But it ended with, you know, some people coming up, giving me hugs, saying, I'm so sorry. I can't believe this has happened to you. And other people leaving with scowls on their faces. And uh, by the time I got home, someone had called me and said, hey, Marcus, um, I just want to give you a heads up. Someone called me and said that uh, they said, come to next week's congregational meeting. We're going to vote Marcus out. Wow. Um, and, uh, and so I was like, well, thank you for the heads up, you know. And so we knew it was coming. Um, and, uh, you know, we did a real good job making sure only only uh, elders, uh, only church members, uh, anyone could attend, but only church members could vote. So, um so anyway, so we had that meeting, and in that meeting, um, they voted to dissolve their relationship with me by a margin of two votes. Wow. Right? So certainly not a, a vast majority. And again, it was so fascinating to see who showed up for that meeting. There were people who had left the church before I even became a pastor who had been recruited, I assume, to come to this meeting. And of course, they weren't members anymore, but uh, they came in claiming to be members. Anyway, but they was, didn't get uh, to vote, did they? They didn't get to vote. Yeah, oh, no. And I think you know some who voted to dissolve the relationship—that's our language, our lingo. Um, <laughs> Doesn't they, make uh, it better. Yeah. Yeah, right. I, I think some of them were like, "Well, I don't know what's true. I don't know what's not. But just in case it is true, we probably 
shouldn't have Marcus be our pastor anymore, you know? Yeah. Ouch. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but you know, by the time that happened, I was just, I was just glad to get out of there. I was just like, Lord, this place is so toxic. I, and so in a way I felt like I had been unchained, <laughs> like I'd been set yeah. free. Wow. And, uh, and what's interesting is the very next morning I was on my way to a pastor's retreat, uh, in Little Rock, Arkansas, which had been on my calendar for six months already. I was like, Lord, you knew I was going to need that this week. Um, and, uh, I was not the only person there who had been voted out that Sunday. Oh my <laughs> goodness. Week. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, it was, uh, uh, that's, uh, that's what happened. Um, and, uh, okay. But yeah, so, and we're already like way, way over our normal time, right. but, but no, it's great. It was so, Okay. I, I mean, it's a long, it's a, it's a tough story, right? But yeah. I love your vulnerability in it. And I love that you're, you know, you're sharing, this is the way that God kind of changed your life. Right. Yeah. And so yeah, this yeah, kind of sets sure. you on a, on a new path mm-hmm. uh, of kind of knowing and understanding his love in a, in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it's one of those things where uh, I, like I, on the one hand, I wish it hadn't happened and I sure hope it never, ever happens again. Yeah. On the other hand, if I could wave my magic wand and make it so that it never happened, I wouldn't do that. Like Mm. I would let it be because of the way it transformed me. And I think that this is like, uh, this is what suffering does. You know, I think about when Paul says I've been crucified with Christ, I'm like, Oh, what he's saying is he understands suffering. Yeah, right? he knows what suffering feels like. Because I mean, he experienced a lot of suffering in in his work, right? And and, and he enumerates them. Uh, um, so he knows what suffering feels like, and I feel like because of that, because of what I did. I mean, that was the first time I really felt like I suffered a lot. Like I haven't lost, didn't lose a parent as a child or a sibling or anything. You know, I, I haven't had any major losses in my life. Um, and this was the first time where I felt like I, I understood what people felt when they suffered. You know? Yeah. And, and so it's made me more compassionate um, and uh, more understanding. Uh, like I said, it changed my priorities. I don't care how many people show up anymore. I just want people to know uh, that they are God's beloved. And um, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's taken some time, you know, uh, after leaving there, I, I worked for an organization that a friend of mine started called Flourish San Diego for a couple of years, which uh, it was just a really healing place to be because I didn't have to be in charge, you know, mm, I, yeah. I could be led. And yet I could still, we we're still doing ministry with churches. I, I learned there that um, what I really love, I don't know if I'll ever go back to being a full-time permanent pastor in church. Maybe I will. But right now I'm enjoying being an interim pastor. Um, because I feel like, okay, I get to help this church, right? Yeah. To prepare them for whatever God has for them and, and help help them become a healthier version of themselves, you know? And, right. And I think my experience has helped me to be better at that, you know? Um, I think I can see unhealth more clearly when it, when it <laughs> creeps up. You yeah, know? you've seen it before. Yeah. You, yeah, you can yeah, you can yeah. uh, address it, and probably with a boldness that you wouldn't have had, for sure, for sure. Yeah, you know, you become uh, you become less afraid. You become more. Uh, you, what's the word? Uh, you have a greater capacity for for the negative things, for fear, for grief, for uh, healthy anger, right? For confrontation, a healthy capacity for con- uh, healthy confrontation, right? Like. Uh, you know, saying, Hey, uh, wait, you just said this thing. Let's, let's unpack that. Like, why did you say that? You know, that kind of thing. Right. 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 Past as a, I don't know if you Enneagram nine peacemaker. Yeah. Oh I yeah. Just avoid it. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, it's made me, I think, uh, when I think of discipleship, when I think of, yeah, I think of it in terms of becoming who we were uh, who we're supposed to be becoming more truly more fully ourselves. And I feel like this experience yeah. has made me more fully myself. I am more the Marcus that God had in mind when Marcus first thought, when God first thought Marcus up. Yeah. Right? Um, and I love that. I think it's so important. I, we probably talked about it before, but right. I, I actually, the, the self 
the view, the regular evangelical view of self, I think is so toxic and so, so disastrous in the sense that we, we tend to equate self with selfishness, right? With, mm, yeah. But no, self is actually what you just said, right? God yeah. has given me a self to, yeah. so that I can interact with him and yeah. taking care of the self is part of my interaction with him. Yeah. And that's yeah. so valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, and, and the more we understand that we have a self, the more we are able to give ourself right. away in right. healthy ways. Right. And that the self that is actually, actually good. People. Yeah. yeah. It's good to yeah. be, to be a person. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Which is, seems simple, but yeah. <laughs> not always the way it's taught. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, Marcus, I love it, yeah. but we haven't mentioned your podcast. So we got to talk oh. about your podcast. So okay. why did you start it, and then and then what are you trying yeah, to do with okay. it? Okay, I'll try. I'll try to keep this short. Um, it's okay. <laughs> I, I will keep it short. Um, yeah, the reason I started, I'd been thinking about doing a podcast for a few years. I've I've been doing it for about a year now, um, and literally the the reason I started it when I did was because I had been interviewing with some other churches that were full time. The church I'm at now is not a full time position, and uh, when I didn't get the full time. I already knew that the part-time, this part-time position of the church wanted me. And I was like, okay, Lord, well, I guess I'm taking the part-time position. So what does that mean? Like, what are you calling? What what are you asking of me and all this? I'm like, oh, it's time to start the podcast. Yeah, nice. (laughs) So, so, uh, yeah, so I, you know, I I toyed around with uh, names and, uh, you know, what it would look like I, I would drive around with uh you know my earbuds and uh just recording you know mock podcasts yep. and stuff to see how it how it flowed and i yeah, did a few I, very uh, embarrassing uh test runs that i'm never going to share with yeah, anybody of course <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so and i love doing it i love getting to meet people um from all kinds of different backgrounds you know and um and hearing about uh, you know i, I in some, some episodes, we talk about sort of the outer work of ministry, like engaging with the world. And sometimes we talk about the inner life of spiritual formation. You know, with you, we talked about Lectio Divina. And, um, uh, and so, and, and both are so critical. Understanding the world, understanding the mission of God in the world, and understanding ourselves. I talk about shalom a lot. Um, and I define it as, it's not my definition, I got it from somewhere, but I don't remember where, uh, a comprehensive state of well-being that touches every aspect of life, right? That's in our outer life, comprehensive well-being in the world, and comprehensive well-being in, in ourselves, in our spirits, in our minds, in our bodies. Um, and all of that is critical for for participating with God in the healing of the world, which is what I think God wants to do. So, yeah, I uh, love that. Beautiful. All right, Marcus, thanks for sharing your story. Uh, friends, you can find Marcus at his website, marcuswatson.com. His podcast is there as well. It's called, if you want to just look it up, you're in the podcast app anyway, Spiritual Life and Leadership. You can hear me talk about Lectio Divina. We've talked about that yeah. on the show before, but also a whole bunch of other great things. Yeah. Um, I think you'll enjoy it. Um, Marcus, anything you want to leave us with? Uh, you know, I will say one other thing. I, I also have a book coming out in a month or two called Beyond Thingification, Helping Your Church Engage in God's Mission. It'll be available on Amazon, and you can look for it later. But, Perfect. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Uh, I'm grateful that I get to share this story, um, and I, you know, I hope, uh, it, I don't know, I hope it blesses someone. And uh, yeah, so thanks to you. No doubt it will. Thanks for being here, brother. All right, thanks. Thanks.